The Daily Rios, Episode 640, Smallville, Season 4, Part 1. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. It's been a while for a Smallville episode, hasn't it? So the last Smallville episode was the Daily Rios 525 Season 3 Part 4. That was dropped in October of 2021. And even though I started Season 4 back then, I eventually, obviously, dropped it for other things. So, two years later, we pick up with the Daily Smallville again, and you can put that word daily in quotes. So, this is week 13 of the Daily Smallville, season 4, as I mentioned, which started in September of 2004, and we're going to cover just the first five episodes of season 4, episodes 1 through 5, And they are entitled Crusade, Gone, Facade, Devoted, and Run. And also, we're going to dip into the Smallville comics as well. This is the magazine series that they were putting out while the show was going on. And we're going to cover issues 9 and 10. Issue 9 was released between seasons 3 and 4. And issue 10 was released the same week as season 4 premiered. Before we get to all that, let's do a little refresher on what the heck is, you know, the Daily Smallville, in case this is your first episode. So back in 2021, I got the idea to cover Smallville from episode 1 to the finale, starting at the beginning, uh of 2021 in January and going all the way through to the show's 20th anniversary in uh, October of 2021. Smallville premiered October 16th, 2001. So I was using that entire year of 2021 to go through the show. I was doing five episodes a week And I posted show notes, or I I should say, I posted all my notes on the website per day. And then at the end of that week, I did a podcast based on those episodes. And had I been, uh, had I kept my schedule, I would have been able to do all 10 seasons of Smallville and land that final episode right when it was celebrating its 20th anniversary in October of 2021. Uh, But, you know, things happened, and uh, I only got three three seasons, and and then the entire experiment, the the entire project failed, which was really a shame. Um, People were excited about the project. I was getting decent hits to the website. People were watching along, and no doubt, once I started to get off schedule, people were getting disappointed, I'm sure. And I was 
really hitting on something because nobody else, not that I know anyway, was really doing this kind of push that early on in 2021 to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Smallville. There are a bunch of people doing Smallville rewatches now. Even Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling have a show called Talkville, and they are currently in season three. And I mentioned how one of the impulses to start this again was that I didn't want their examination of the show to go beyond where I was, so that way I don't, you know, I'm not informed by their discussions, you know. They're going behind the scenes and they're talking about things that happen to to make an episode come together, but they're also talking about character points and personalities and relationships and getting actors from the show to join them on the podcast. So yes, it's going to be a full examination because they were there. You know, I'm really coming at it from a story point of view and what Smallville is trying to create. So I I don't want my thoughts to be filtered by that. So I'm hoping that I can keep ahead um, and I can stay ahead at least a full season. So uh, yeah, I have some catching up to do, but if I can get all of season four done before they get season three done, then yeah, I'm going to be on a good schedule. We'll see how it goes. As I mentioned, the word daily is in quotes. It's obviously not going to be daily, but I am dumping my notes back on the website again. And if you want all the notes, you have to go there. I'm only covering some of the notes in this podcast. So uh, what I look for in episodes are things all filtered through the lens of Smallville, of course, like Clark Kent and his powers, his origin building, uh, differences between Smallville and the and comic books when it comes to the origins, um, his whole savior reputation that he had in the first three seasons, and then there's all kinds of Smallville stuff. How do they treat Krypton? How do they treat Earth? Uh, the kryptonite monster of the week, the weirdness of the town. Then you have all the relationships and the character stuff, the romances, the father-son relationships, the different love triangles, um, how a lot of the main characters are orphans. We have the Superman mythos stuff that I like to dig into, whether it's Smallville related or comic book related, and then Easter eggs as well. That's always fun. While all that's going on in the back of my mind, I'm also looking at at how Smallville influenced a lot of what was going on uh, for future CW superhero shows. The structure, cast archetypes, the music, etc. Smallville was a huge success for Geek TV and for getting general audiences to watch Geek TV. So... I really appreciate what it has done for that, so I want to keep a nod on that. And then it's also fun to look at any stunts as well. If I had to give a real quick overview for the first three seasons, just so we can catch everybody up to seasons four, here's uh, here's what I wrote down. Season one was about Clark finding out his origins, his powers, testing his powers, the effect that the meteor storm and the effect that Clark has on Smallville and the people around him, his crush on Lana, 
Lex investigating the accident that brought Clark to, to his attention. And season one is definitely the kryptonite monster of the week season. Season two, we get some origin expansion. We get uh, the revelation between uh, the revelation of the connection between the Luthers and the Kents. We get introduced to the caves, Virgil Swan, the Lana Clark Chloe triangle really heats up. We get more powers for Clark. He goes to Metropolis for the first time, and we get the first glimpse of the larger Smallville DC universe. Uh, Lionel starts to set his sights on Clark. Martha has a miscarriage at the end of the season. We get some clones. We get red kryptonite. We get Clark's bad side, known as Cal, going to Metropolis. Lionel and Lex coming together to try to piece things together. Pa and Clark pulling apart. Uh, it's, a, it's a season that has a lot of duality to it. And then season three, more confrontations, a whole bunch of stuff about destiny. Pa dealing with uh, what he went through with Jor-El to bring Clark back from Metropolis, back from uh, the brink. Lionel and Lex working together even more, but then Lex helping Chloe to bring Lionel down. Lana pulling back from Clark. We get some loose ends wrapped up with various kryptonite monsters of the week. Some deepening connections between Krypton and Smallville, going all the way to the past with Jor-El arriving in Smallville. Uh, Lex learns about Clark and then loses his memory. We get more clones, no more Pete Ross. We get Lionel versus Pa Kent round one. And we by the end of this season three, Clark starts to see Lex as an adversary for the first time and ends their friendship. Lionel winds up in jail, Chloe is dead, Lex is poisoned, Pa is dying, and Clark Kent is off with Jor-El. And all of that sets up season four. Before we get there, though, uh, I mentioned that there were two comics, two Smallville magazine comics. These are comics that, uh, you know, they have interviews, they have articles, and they usually have one or two comic stories, which is why I'm calling them magazine comics. So we got issues 9 and 10. Issue 9 is a lighthearted interview with Michael Rosenbaum, mentioning that there might be a major turning point in season four between Clark and Lex. We get two comic stories, uh, one called Secrets, one called Lies, both written by Clint Carpenter, both colored by Guy Major, lettered by Pat Brousseau. Secrets, the artwork is by Tom Derenick and Adam DeCracker, and Lies is by Jim Fern and Larry Stucker. So this story, these two stories work together. It's basically two sides of the same adventure. Clark wants to do something nice at the talent for Lana before she leaves for Paris, so he asks Lex for the keys to the coffee shop. When he gets there, he manages to stop some thieves, or so he believes. He does his Superman thing as they attempt to leave, firing bullets at him, and eventually Lex and Lana show up, and Lana tells Clark that it's still too, too soon to celebrate her leaving since it's a week away. In the second story, after giving Clark the keys, we follow Lex, and he and Lana finalize closing the talon or signing it over to new owners. 
When we get to season four, I believe talent, the talent is closed. So we see Lex's side after he arrives at the Talon. Clark has just had that adventure with those people. And Lex learns about the break-in. He goes back home and he thinks the FBI are behind it, trying to get information on Clark. Turns out it's Lionel, of course, trying to spy on Clark and trying to, to get Lex to see how Clark could have possibly stopped such a break-in, you know. And then both stories end with Lex having unanswered questions at the scene of the crime, Clark saying it all happened way too fast for him to provide answers, and it's just another mystery for the two to solve. And then issue nine wraps up with a look at a bunch of different Smallville novels. Uh, There's one called Strange Visitors by Roger Stern, Dragon by Alan Grant, who also wrote Curse, Hauntings by Nancy Holder, who wrote a bunch of Buffy novels, and then she also wrote another Smallville novel entitled Silence, Whodunit by Dean Wesley Smith, Shadows by Diana A. Gallagher, City by Devin Grayson, that's another comic book writer there, and uh, they just give quick synopsis and some author interviews about each novel. As I mentioned, I don't think I'll be reading them. That just seems like a lot to read. And I don't know. I don't know how well they're going to turn out. And then the issue ends with an episode guide for season two. Then we go to issue 10. We get an interview with Erica Durance talking about how she's playing Lois Lane and how she's trying not to think about how big of a role Lois Lane is for Smallville and for the Superman mythos but that she loves that she can step into this nurturing environment. Um, But I think it also works that, uh, you know, she's coming into this show with season four, everybody's already established, and then, uh uh-oh, here comes Lois. Like, that kind of makes sense. So, of course, her being nervous and, and coming into a situation and a TV show that's already running, that energy actually works because... She is, for lack of a better word, an intruder, right? She's an intruder in all their lives. She disrupts things, and that makes sense. It makes sense for what they're trying to build here. Um, The interviewer later asks, why do you think they are introducing her so late in the game? Which I was like, wait a minute, late in the game? It's season four of Clark not even being Superboy, much less Superman. So it's like, no, she's not late to the game. This is exactly how it should be. Well... Not exactly in comic book terms, but for Smallville, if they know they're never going to get to Superman, well, then they have to introduce Lois at some point. Um, I don't think it's late at all. In fact, in many ways, I think it's a little too early for her to show up in season four. But then you also have to remember, they probably thought they were only going to get five seasons out of this show. At least early on, they thought that. And I don't know when the switch was that, you know, that they turn around and go, yeah, we're probably going to be here much longer than five seasons. Um, She mentions that she was only brought on for four episodes in season four, but they expand it to 13, which is great. The comic story in this issue is by Clint Carpenter and Dan Thompson. Tom uh, Tom Derenick back on pencils, Adam DeCracker, inks, Guy Major, colors, Pat Russo, letters. And this one deals with the creature that was found in the caves during one of the episodes 
a little, it looks a little like Mr. Mine, not going to lie. And it creates a toxin that they shoot into a monkey. The monkey goes all Titano and he has strength and it boosts your adrenaline. And then the monkey attacks Chloe. Chloe gets infected. She goes shopping with Lana. Lana gets infected. Their adrenaline is all beefed up. They're acting like two She-Hulks at this mall, you know, flirting with men, starting fights, fighting each other. Then it wears off and all is well. And then that's it. And it's a it's a bit of an odd story. I, I didn't care for it too much. And then this issue gives a guide to more novels, but to young adult novels that they did for Smallville. Most of these stories are based on pitches that never made it to full development for the show. And then this uh, comic wraps up with even more episode guides to season two. So those are the comics. Um, next time around, I will cover Smallville issue 11. And that is the final issue for the magazine comic. And I'll get to that next episode. So Smallville season four, episodes one through five. These episodes start out strong. It ends fairly decently, but the middle three episodes are hit and miss. The introduction of Lois Lane, the addition of Erica Durant's, is pretty good. Um, she's great in that first episode. And in the remaining episodes that we see her in, she's good, but I just wish the episodes were better. And um, it seems like they use her to try to tell the same angle as she learns about Smallville. And I know that there there's going to be better episodes for her later. So we start with Crusade, episode number one. I gave this a five. That's the highest mark I can give. It's a great season opener. It's trying to push the series in all new ways, building on what came before, but feeling like they almost are jumping you know, it's almost like finally they are using that summer break to advance the story rather than picking up right where we left off. And I like that a lot. Um, they have a lot of new elements that we'll see. It is written by the creators, Alfred Goff and Miles Millar, directed by Greg Beeman, all the big guns. So you know that this is an important episode. Plus, it's interesting to note that Lost premiered the same night as this episode. So it's no wonder that this episode had to be good because they are going up against Lost. Some of the... I mentioned how there have been a few actors that appeared in the background or like Ian Summerholder appeared on Smallville before Lost. So they knew this show was coming. They had to make this episode killer. Maybe that's why they brought in Lois. I don't know. So we get the introduction of Lois. It's a great introduction. We are three months later. There's a crazy storm, very similar to the feel of the meteor storm in season one or the tornadoes that opened up season two. There was a video that Chloe put together in the event of her death. She put it together for Clark. Lois sees it and she's investigating. She even says, I've come to Smallville to investigate my cousin's death, which is funny because throughout some of these episodes and later, she often says how she doesn't want any part with journalism or any of that, but it clearly is within her nature. 
And this is when Clark appears in the middle of the storm in all of his nakedness with his cal side fully present. And Lois finds him and he says, who are you? And she says, Lois, Lois Lane. So it's the Clark Lois cute meet. And even though this version of Lois is not my favorite, it works. It really, really works. Erica's acting might be a little eager, but again, she's new to this series. She's bringing a new energy. Um, but they already lean into their eventual destiny, you know, with lines like Lois says things like, give me a nerd with glasses. Um, she meets Ma Kent right away. Uh, Clark is in his cow persona, so he, you know, it's not like he has amnesia, but he doesn't recognize anybody. Um, but you can also see that with bringing Lois in, the show pushes um, the view of Clark through her eyes. So there are several beefcake moments. There are some dialogue bits where she's clearly checking Clark out when he's naked or because he's strong. So it's nice. It's nice to have that energy work a different way. There's a good scene later on between Lois and Lionel where you can see that she, you know, again, that personality that she has comes right out. And um, Lionel says to her, try to have a little more than righteous indignation. Basically, she's coming to him for information and he's trying to blow her off. She gets this look where it's almost like she's saying, okay, I know, I know that when I deal with you, I better bring the facts from now on. And I almost feel like Lionel also set her on this journalistic streak for answers. Uh, it's great. She she gives it right back to him. Um, she's not Lana. She's not Chloe. She is this new energy that everyone has to get used to. For Clark, the whole Clark cow thing is weird. You know, he has... I, we've seen it before, right? We have seen it in comics. There was that storyline called Day of the Krypton Man in 1990 where Clark went full Krypton, right? Um, he keeps saying, I'm waiting for a sign. I was in a place that felt like home. Uh, pa Kent is in a coma, and Cal says he tried to prevent me from being reborn. But we don't ever really find out what happened in those three months, at least not in these five episodes. We don't know what Jor-El's plan is. I've been talking about in previous seasons that this version of Jor-El is a jerk. Why should anybody trust him? Um, and you can see that this persona, this Cal persona, different from when he's under Red Kryptonite, it's just, it's not nice. I mean, obviously, it's very alien. He has to try to play alien without being goofy, right? So they go with this like almost robotic, stoic thing. And I guess it works, but it's a little weird. So as I mentioned, they're jumping all these stories ahead. We have Lex, who is alive. He was poisoned at the end of last season, but he's all alive. He's dressed all in white, and he's playing Indiana Jones. He's going around to different areas. He's again on this new search for information. He has to purify his blood every 72 hours. Um, they mentioned that he survived something that 99.9% .9 of other people would die from. And again, that's because he is physically different from, from a lot of people because he was almost directly 
in line with the meteor storm and the effects of the meteor storm. They've mentioned something about a high white blood count, uh, blood cell count. Um, he is different. And I like that that is a through line throughout the show. I'm not sure I picked up on that when I was watching the show while it was airing. This is stuff that only connects when you're binge watching, I feel. We touch in with Lana. She is in Paris. Um, she meets a man named Jason Teague. Lana definitely has a type, that's for sure. And then we get introduced to this whole thing, the Countess Margaret Isabel Thoreau, where it has, you know, she's doing this art project. She discovers this woman that has these symbols that also show up in the Smallville Caves, unheard ancestors. I think it's also the start of Veritas, but I'm not sure. It's all too coincidental, but again... They're trying to move beyond what uh, what we know from the first three seasons and, and just layer some new things here and try to give people some new starting points, you know, to go from here. Jason jokes that he knows Lana's birthday, and he says, uh, I found out by using sources at the highest level of government. And it's only on this rewatch that I'm like, oh, right, yeah. You know, well, this rewatch and, you know, I've talked about how these notes are based on notes that I did probably about eight to ten years ago when I did a rewatch back then, and I'm updating them now. But I, you can see the foreshadowing in his character. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go along for the ride. Um, Lana gets zapped by this image of this countess. She wakes up. She has a mark on the back of her back, uh, you know, and it's right away she's confused. She doesn't know what happened. So now she has destiny. Clark has destiny. Lex has destiny. Uh, and she's marked, right? I, I do like that. Um, you know, Lex is marked because he lost his hair in the meteor storm. Clark used to be marked when he had that scar on his chest that made him look like Superboy Prime, but now that's gone. And now Lana is marked. So they're all orphans of, to some degree, and they are all marked with some destiny as well. So this opener gives us a whole bunch of new Superman Krypton, Krypton stuff. Apparently these Kryptonian symbols, the Kryptonian alphabet, are now all across the world. And Lex finds an artifact, and when you translate it, it says, this is the first crystal of knowledge. There's a crystal inside the art artifact. It has some marking on it. I can't figure out what it is. So now we have a key to the ship. We have the ship's heart, which is almost like this um, uh, square thing. Uh, the, the key is kind of like a, uh, not a circle, not a, I forget how many, it's like an octagon shape, I think. So we have the key, the heart, Jor-El's amulet from um, when he arrived on Smallville many, many years ago, the star blade, which was a knife that disintegrated, and now we have this crystal. And it's like, what? What is this now? Um, we will find out later, you know, as the season goes on. But because Lex finds this, we get the biggest moment of this episode where Clark realizes and senses the crystal and he flies, or rather Cal flies, as he says later. 
And I have always dug this moment. You know, again, for a show that said we're never going to see him fly, this is now the fourth time I think we've seen him fly, like really fly. We saw Jor-El fly. Uh, we've seen Tom Welling float a few times. Um, but he flies, and he, he goes all Matrix, and he takes off, and he goes to the plane where Lex is, and he grabs the crystal. And I love the look on Martha's face when she's seeing him fly away. Um, it's the same look that Pa once gave Clark when they talked about flying before, because if he can do this, where's the limit, right? Just how powerful is his potential? What I also like about this moment is it gives Clark and Lex another cute meet. Just like the accident on the bridge, now they have this moment high in the air. You know, who who stole the crystal from the plane while it was in the air? I mean, it's like another mystery for Lex to be obsessed about. And just how much did Lex see when Clark got the crystal? And then um, if that's not enough, if that's not a big enough kind of like new twist to this show, we get a new player to Smallville, a new character connected to Virgil Swan, a callback to previous Superman media. We get the second Lois Lane to show up in this episode, Margot Kidder as Bridget Crosby. And we get a scene between Margot Kidder and Annette O'Toole, O'Toole, the original Lois and Lana, which is great. There is all kinds of legacy meta stuff going on here in their dialogue, just in the fact that they're sharing the screen together, in, in Bridget Crosby's relationship to Virgil Swan. It's all very metatextual. It all adds this additional layer in a way that is much, much, much better than what I called Smallville 61, I believe it was, when one of those episodes in season three where they tried to show how Jor-El came to Smallville, had a relationship with Lana Lang's like great aunt, and how Lionel Luther's uh, dad or granddad got involved, and it just was like, no, that's too much, that's too forced. The way to do it is like they're doing it here. And I super, I just adored this moment. And I got to say, Margot Kidder is actually pretty good in this role. Um, she gets it. She understands what she needs to do, what she's bringing to Smallville, and it works. So you get lines like, Your son's destiny was set in motion long before their paths crossed. You can take that to mean... Reflecting back to Superman the movie, you can take that to mean, you know, going all the way back to 1938, right? Um, Ma says, you don't know anything about my son. Margot Kidder has a fantastic look on her face in response. And it's it's like, you know, this larger Superman metaverse. It's almost like the multiverse before crisis. Like, it's like you want... Margot Kidder to turn and say to her, shut up, Lana, I knew you in a different reality, right? It's very much in the way Riverdale has the adults being Archie and the gang before Archie and the gang, before the ones that we're actually watching in the show, right? Um, so I love that. I love that duality. So she says, you're right. I don't know Clark, but you can see the subtext is almost like, I don't know your Clark, but I know my Clark. 
And then she says, but I do know what it's like to love someone whose calling is greater than your own. And that just feels like dialogue right from the original Superman movies. She says, you know, she mentions in a different timeline. She mentions that, oh, he flew. He has completely embraced his Kryptonian destiny. As I talked about before, it's like flying is like his final form, you know. I don't quite under I don't quite understand why they want to stop him from go from getting that full destiny. What does Virgil Swan know? What does Bridget Crosby know that Clark doesn't know that the Kents don't know? You know, it, does it have something to do with Jor-El? This is the stuff that I feel the show doesn't get right, and it carries all the way to the end of the v- series, and I it never really sat well with me. So I'm gonna have to keep. Um, a lookout for this. And then Bridget says, the only challenge to a father's will is a mother's love. She gives Martha black kryptonite. What? And uh, we'll see what that does. All of this wraps up into the whole crystal of power thing. Apparently there are three relics hidden around the world. When united, they point the way to a treasury of knowledge. Apparently, Lionel has been looking for this for the past two years, but now Lex is on the case as well. And it goes to the caves, of course. So Clark, or I should say Cal, he has the crystal. He opens up this portal in the cave wall. It leads to this room that has some kind of table. He puts one of the he puts the crystal on there, and we got one down, two to go. And that seems to wake Lana up when when he does that. And that's when she discovers the whole, you know, tattoo on her back. I think this is leading to the fortress, I think, but I don't remember. And I don't want to look ahead because that's part of the fun. Martha uses the black kryptonite to separate the two natures within Clark. They have this battle and that's where the Superboy Prime scar seems to go away. It almost feels like they're doing... The Superman 3 movie fight. Um, and then because of that, because of her being able to rescue Clark, Pa wakes up as well. The episode ends with Clark meeting Lois, uh, for real this time, without his cow personality, at the gravesite of Chloe. And it's interesting to note that Lana and Clark, one of their first scenes way back in Season 1, Episode episode 1, was also in a cemetery. Uh, Lana, uh, Lois and Clark, they have great chemistry so far. And Clark looks into the coffin, realizes nothing's there in Chloe's grave, and says Chloe is still alive. Let's go to Episode 2, entitled Gone. This was a 3.75, maybe to a 4. This takes place right after Episode 1, Clark and Lois investigating and eventually solving what ha- what happened to Chloe, so that mystery doesn't last long. This brings them in contact with Lois's dad, Sam Lane, who has been working with Lex to protect Chloe ever since Lex felt like he couldn't trust the FBI anymore. Of course, Lionel is involved. We get a Terminator 2.0 wannabe that goes after Chloe. Uh, She is found, she's saved by Clark and Lois, almost like they're acting like a new team to to help out all these situations. 
But don't worry, Lana is back in town. She's back in Smallville. And following after her is her Paris fling, Jason Teague. Generally, this is a somewhat uneven episode. It's not necessarily bad in quality, but I think the focus jumps all over the place. It's almost like they're struggling between, you know... So this is by Brian Peterson and Kelly Souders. And you know, if you listen to previous episodes, I am not a fan of that writing team. Um, Usually because they put Smallville second and they put something else first, like some kind of gothic horror, some weird um, obsession with Lana, uh, some weird backstory. You know, I usually don't enjoy their episodes, but it's directed by James Marshall, and I like him quite a lot. So I feel like the writers are struggling between what they always want to write, which is like romance and over-the-top drama, but then they also realize they have to bring in a lot of Superman stuff because we have to focus on Lois. So some of the production values in this episode, mm, not so good. There's also terrible ADR dubbing in this ep and other episodes as well. You can see that they want this episode to be lighter. The music score is meant to be playful. Um, maybe it doesn't work because... James Marshall might not be good with this kind of like, you know, back and forth between Lois and Clark. He's probably better with action. And then the kryptonite monster, well, I don't think he's a kryptonite monster of the week, but the big bad, the Terminator 2.0, he's boring as an actor. I think the the visual effects are kind of limited. Um, it lacks imagination when he can change his body into some kind of like metal um, arm or some kind of weapon. And I don't know, just it didn't work for me. So um, one of the notions that I have for all the kryptonite monsters of the week is that I feel like they are usually tied to some kind of like existing Legion of Superheroes member or villain. So you can maybe say that he is Silver Slasher. And it did make me think, oh, maybe they're using Kryptonite Monsters of the Week differently now. Instead of them being uh, some kind of opponent to Clark, they're going to be used in larger schemes. The way that Lionel is using this one to try to keep, um, well, to try to kill Chloe, to keep her dead, or really dead, um, but also just to get in the way of everybody else. If episode one was about all the different changes in everybody's lives, this episode starts to bring them together. You know, Clark and Lois, Clark and Lex again, Lex and Lionel, a little with Lana and Lex, Lana and Clark, Lana and Lois. Um, We get to see Clark and Lois on a case for the first time. I like how they are at odds. It's a much different relationship tone than with Lana or Chloe. And Lois says, Chloe always said that this town was weird, which I liked because, you know, you got to have a reason why Lois doesn't seem phased by the kryptonite monster of the week or all the weird stuff that happens. It's because she probably has already uh, expected it. But there are times where we see Clark like flashing away, you know, super speeding away from Lois makes me think, hmm, 
she should be a little smarter and maybe she sh especially the way she found Clark in the middle of the cornfield naked during a storm all of this should kind of tip off for her but it doesn't uh, for obvious reasons we meet Sam Lane in this episode he is played by Michael Ironside dark side in all of the justice league cartoons uh and the superman animated series so he is playing sam lane he's chewing a cigar it's interesting to see pa kent be very respectful towards a general he doesn't know and we just learn stuff about lois right she's a fighter she can fight uh we see where her toughness comes through so it's it's he's a good addition to uh smallville even if we don't see him that much we get Lana back in Smallville. As I mentioned, she has this tattoo. She knows that it's cave-related. She goes to see Lex first. And this is funny, right? Like, Lex says, did you see Clark yet? And she says something like, I didn't ask about Clark. So there are definitely undercurrents here between these two characters that we saw a little bit in previous seasons, but she's only 17, you know, so it's like, hmm, we got to watch because she's still basically underage. And that does come into play with her new boyfriend, Jason, because he's in college and she's still in high school. Uh, we have a couple good scenes between Lionel and Lex. Um, Lex is continuing to be obsessed about the airplane heist in episode one. It's another unexplained event, and that's leading him to... A strange, strained relationship with Clark because, you know, it comes out that Sam Lane and Lex are working together to protect Chloe. Lex had to lie to Clark again um, because he couldn't trust the FBI. And he's and he's got to try to, you know, keep this from Clark for as long as he can. In many ways, by bringing in Sam Lane, Lex is responsible for Clark and Lois meeting. So... You know, in the long run, there's one of those like happy accidents that involves Lex, even though nobody will ever know it or think of it in that way. So while Lex is doing all this, like, you know, dealing with Chloe and trying to find this artifact, he's having these conversations with his dad and his dad knows that, you know, being in prison is because of Lex, because of Chloe. He says to Lex, you'll never have another moment's peace. And this whole ramping up of Lionel, I've talked about this in previous episodes. I mean, he's gone full Luther. Like Lionel is no longer just being the businessman, no longer just being um, confrontational. He's bordering on evil and it's coming out more and more. Uh, Lana meets Lois in this episode. I love the destiny chimes in the music when they shake hands. And she wants to help finding Chloe. Lois can see right away that there's tension between Lana and Clark, even though she's surprised that they even had a thing, which is great. It's a great observation for Lana, uh, for Lois. And then by the end, Chloe is back. The Kryptonite Monster of the Week is defeated. Uh, Lionel goes and uh, he's on trial. Since Chloe is alive, she can testify. Lionel's found guilty. The Daily Planet article on this is written by Perry White, who showed up last season. And Lex now has control of Luther Corps. And 
even through all of this, Clark is still unsure about Lex. Even the Kents are a little bit defending Lex to Clark, but Clark has it in his mind that, you know, there's this destiny that he's going to have a great adversary. He thinks it's Lex. And uh, we get a scene with Lana and Clark in the caves. Of course, she doesn't tell him about the tattoo, but you can see that um, it's now Lana that has a secret that she's hiding from Clark after all these seasons of Clark hiding something from Lana. Lana can also see something in Clark and Lois. Clark says she's bossy, stuck up, rude, I can't stand her. And Lana says the best ones always start that way. And that actually got me. I thought that was the one honest bit of dialogue that is kind of perfect for this writing pair, but it makes sense and it's not just thrown in haphazardly. So um, Lana rents out the Talon apartment. Jason arrives in Smallville. He says to her, I didn't come here to get you. I came here to be with you. Considering what we will eventually learn about Jason, this moment feels romantic, but in hindsight, no, it's got a lot behind it. Let's go to episode three, Facade. This is a 3.5. It's another fine episode like the last one. It feels like they need to make things happen to move the characters forward. That is the main point. But we get a Kryptonite Monster of the Week in this episode that falls flat. So we are in senior year, and Clark is trying to make his own decisions without his parents. Uh, Lois begins her journey as a reporter. The episode moves Jason more into the lives of the other Smallville characters. Um, But the way it gets there in this episode is a little sloppy, and we still have like no follow-up to what Jor-El did to Clark at all. This is written by Holly Harold and directed by Pat Williams. They have not had much to do with the series so far. Holly wrote Magnetic in Season 3, which was not a good episode. But she also wrote Obsession with Alicia Baker that I really liked. Now, maybe it's because James Marshall directed that episode. Pat directed Delete in Season 3 which was a Souders-Peterson episode, and that one also was meh. Um, But that episode gave us that really good Lana and Chloe fight. So, you know, it's kind of like that's why this episode doesn't live up to the standards of some of those other episodes. Uh, It's just, it's kind of mishmashy. We get a flashback to freshman year of Smallville. Whitney makes an appearance again. So does the necklace, Lana's kryptonite necklace. It's like every time the Smallville wiki says that it's the last time we see certain things, I find an episode and I'm like, oh no, here they are again. And we flash back because, uh, you know, Smallville athletes are terrible and they're picking on a girl named Scabby Abby. She's played by Brianna Lynn Brown. And then we cut to the present day. It's senior year. And all of a sudden, she's like beautiful because her mom is involved in kryptonite plastic surgery. Uh, Her mom's name is uh, Dr. Fine, as in Milton Brainiac Fine in the comics. So she's returned. It's their last year. She She says to Clark, I want to do things that other people are doing. And this is echoed by Clark, 
and this feels very much like what they used to do in the first and second season, she wants to do something different, so does he. He wants to play football. Even if that means going against Pa Kent's wishes, he wants something for himself. So this Kryptonite Monster of the Week is a little bit like Rogue, is a little bit like Phobia from New Teen Titans, where... Um, if she kisses them, they uh, fall under her sway. Um, she does it to one of the football players. She does it to Lana because Lana overheard her mom uh, talking about this whole situation. And that puts Lana in the hospital for like the hundredth time. Um, to find out more information, Lois decides to investigate what's going on, leading her to Abby's mom. Lois becomes the new torture queen, right? If Lana's in the hospital, we got to torture somebody, right? Um, the way Abby's mom does all the plastic surgery is she puts people under this like plastic Weapon X looking thing that injects them with all this kryptonite stuff. Lois almost, go, almost goes under the needle. Uh, Clark has to save the day. The action is filmed terribly. Again, the ADR is so bleh, and um, I'm really disappointed in a lot of the action stuff in this episode. Now, the reason Lois is still sticking around is because she finds out she's a few credits short from her high school years, so even though she should be attending her first year at college, her dad tells her, nope, you have to go and finish those credits you need to go back to high school. So she has to go back to Smallville High. And we get this great reaction from both Lois and Clark when she's when she's told that. So Chloe decides to rope her into the torch. She says, the last thing I want is to be a reporter. But as I've been saying, you know, that's exactly what she's been doing for these for the first two episodes, at least. When Clark and Pa have a conversation about Clark wanting to play football... Pa's not into it at all because of his powers, but eventually, you know, Clark wins him over. Um, later, there's a, a bit of dialogue that I really like. Pa says, you're a senior in high school, and from now on, you're going to be making a lot of your own decisions. And I wrote here, oh, are they starting to set up Clark for when Pa won't be around? And I'm going to notice that in a few other episodes as well. Clark meets Jason Teague in this episode. Jason Teague is the new assistant coach. Again, Lana has a type. And that means that now Jason is closer to Clark. You can almost see that he possibly already knows who Clark is. And there's a later scene where Jason is asking Lana about Clark. And I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, of course you do, because... Because there's something going on with you. So now he's involved with Smallville. He has to have this relationship in secret with Lana. So now, again, she has a secret, just like Clark has a secret. And um, he also says, when it comes to defying fathers, I'm a pro. He, he brings up his family a lot, almost like he's a black sheep or he's an outcast. But I think that's part of his cover story. I, I guess we'll find out. Lex and Jason meet. They also feel like they know each other to some degree. Um, when Lex visits Lana in the hospital and meets Jason, you get this feeling like Lex is like 
hmm, somebody jumped in line in front of me, uh, you know, someone older, and he doesn't like that, right? Like, it's like, hmm, you know, again, this undercurrent that Lex and Lana might be a thing. Uh, do we get any other things here? Um, we Ma is starting to manage the Talon. She says that I need something of my own. I remember reading an article in a previous episode where Annette O'Toole talked about pushing to, you know, she wants to do more. Anytime I, we do get a scene with Pa and Clark about playing football, it makes me think of, you know, the modern Superman and Lois TV series because that's also a thing about Superman's sons wanting to play football. You know, there's some cool unexpected parallels there. And then the ending, the ending does make up for a less than stellar episode. Um, this is where Clark is in a dunk tank and Lois throws a football and he falls in. And, you know, you can see that she's happy. They're both smiling. When you look at Clark's face, he has never smiled like that before. And she goes up to Clark after he gets all wet and she messes up his hair and they're all like, ha ha ha, look what happened to us. You know, this is funny. And Chloe is there right in the middle. She sees it. The song uh, that they play is So Much For My Happy Ending by Avril Lavigne. It's so good. Chloe's like, she's got this hound dog look on her face. It's You just want to tell her, give it up, Chloe. It's never going to be, never going to happen. And now Clark has met like his destined match, right? So it's clearly never going to happen. So really good ep- ending because it gives us Lois and Clark stuff to dig into. But, you know, did you need the whole rest of the episode for this moment? Nah, not at all. Let's go to episode four, Devoted. This one was a 2.75 to a three. This is my least liked of the five. Tired of being second fiddle to football, a bunch of cheerleaders develop a love potion to turn their boyfriends into jealous love slaves. Jason T gets caught up, so does Chloe, of course, and it's up to Clark and Lois once again to figure things out. Along the way, Lex and Clark rekindle their relationship. Lana is feeling the pressure of keeping her relationship to Jason a secret, and Lois finally gets into Metropolis University with Clark's help. This is written by Luke Shalagas and directed by David Carson. They do not have um, much on their Smallville resumes at this point. Yeah, it just doesn't hold up. I feel like the Kryptonite Monster of the Week angle is overplayed. We've already seen this kind of thing with Nicodemus in Season 1, with Rush in Season 2. You almost want to say, why doesn't anybody just... Why don't they just stay away from anything green after three seasons? Like, don't drink the Gatorade, you know? (laughs) Some of the dialogue is bad. There's some decent character stuff here and there, but I think it's surrounded by a very low-rent plot. It's not a great send-off for Lois. She disappears after this episode. And it feels a little cheap. Um, There's too much teen stuff going on. I don't know if it's because Peterson and Souders are now story editors or producers or something like that. So, I don't know. This episode just comes across um, too formulaic. You know, it's season four. We need better episodes than this. So when one of the football players gets put under this Gatorade spell, 
Uh, he goes after Jason for, you know, daring to talk to his love. Clark has to save the day. And Jason says later, I've never seen anyone move that fast. Again, Jason is keeping watch on Clark. Uh, he also mentions that his dad cut him off again. I don't know why Jason is talking about his family, but we're going to see. We're going to see. When Chloe gets put under the spell, she falls for Clark. They make out in the barn. Clark is all weirded out by it, you know. Um, Chloe's ready to give up the torch. I mean, she's all under this love potion spell. And then at the end, they have a, a conversation about their feelings where Clark is like, look, I just don't feel that way and I don't think I ever will and I hope I hope I hope it's the last time these two have that conversation because now that you brought in Lois it's just kind of foolish to keep this going we get some more between Lana and Jason Lana have having to hide this secret she says I've never been happier but that's why this is eating her because she can't tell people that she's happy and, and it's exactly the opposite of everything that was going on with Clark, right? Now she's experiencing that, and she's not like that. Uh, Clark says at one point to someone, I'm not over Lana yet. I think this is to Martha, um, because he gets the sense that she's dating somebody. And Martha says, there's somebody out there for you. I know it. We know it as viewers, because obviously, you know, Lois is here. When we do get a scene between Clark and Lana, you can almost feel like there's no more spark left between them two, no matter how hard Clark is playing up this this angle. You know, again, once you bring in Lois, nothing else matters, you know. So I'm curious to see if they're going to keep any of this triangle going in the future. As I mentioned, Lex and Clark, they're going to, you know, try their friendship again. Lex says, there's a darkness in me that I can't always control. Your friendship helps keep it at bay, which I was like, oh, sure, it's Clark's responsibility. That's not going to go over well. He shows uh, Clark that there's nothing left in the room that had all of that, like all those displays on Clark. The only thing that that's there uh, is the Porsche, but it's like all the way down to like this cube. And he says, you know, that's it. I, I just don't want to do what I was doing in the previous seasons. He wants to give the friendship another shot. But Clark's kind of like, okay, we might do it. But, you know, he's still a little cautious. And it's because of this friendship that Clark's like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you get Lois the hell out of Smallville and uh, get her back into college, which Lex does. So then we get a scene between Lois and Clark when she's leaving. And she says, see you around Smallville. It's almost, you almost get the sense that Clark is going to miss her, you know. And uh, we know that she's going to be back. So um, we'll look forward to those episodes. And then the whole episode ends with a tribute to Christopher Reeve, who passed away uh, while, you know, sometime during this season. It says, in loving memory of Christopher Reeve. Let's wrap this up with episode five, Run. This is a four to a 4.25, where Clark meets the Flash, Bart Allen, in Metropolis, and gets involved in another Luther scheme, this time involving a manuscript with a Kryptonian map. I can remember being very excited for this episode on its first run. 
You know, it's the start of a larger corner of Smallville beyond what we've seen before. You know, we've seen Metropolis. We've got the hint of a larger DC universe when we got introduced to Maggie Sawyer. And we have all these other kryptonite monsters of the week, a few metas. But now we have someone who is on Clark's level in terms of powers, but also eventually in terms of what he is trying to do with his powers. So it's obviously, you know, the start of the Justice League. And it's a good episode. It's a good episode. It's written by Stephen S. DeKnight, the future Daredevil showrunner, directed by David Barrett. Um, Bart Allen is played by Kyle Gallner, who was in, this is before Veronica Mars and before he was in the A Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, which I talked about in one of the digests not uh, recently. It's not quite as polished an episode as I remember. Some of the special effects don't hold up, but it is way more entertaining than the previous two episodes. So Clark meets Bart in Metropolis when Pa almost gets run over, and then we go into speed time, and Clark sees Flash rescue Pa. It's oddly similar to the Snyder Cut of the Justice League. And when Clark seeks out who this person is, just the way Welling plays his relationship to Bart, it's almost like he's enjoying the mystery around this kid. Maybe it's because he senses that he isn't all that bad, that he isn't a kryptonite monster of the week, but also that he could be someone like Clark and that he can share whatever that experience is. So there's uh, one scene where he's trying to catch Bart, but he can't, and Bart takes off over the water. The look on Clark's face is amazement, and it's an interesting coincidence that this episode was released four days before the Incredibles movie which was released on October 24th, 2004. So technically, Smallville beat the movie to that whole running on the water gag, which I kind of like. Bart shows up in Smallville, of course, and he meets Clark's parents, and he gets involved with everything that's going on. We learn a little bit of his origin. Apparently, it has something to do with an accident and a flash of light. Clark assumes that it happened in Smallville, but that's not true. It it didn't. And um, he says to Bart, I never met anyone like you with powers that wasn't from around here. And I don't know if that's exactly true. There was that character, Ryan, that had some mental things. But I don't know if he was from Smallville or right outside of Smallville. But this idea that there might be other metas out there or other powered people beyond the meteor storm, this open the, opens up a whole new world for Clark. And you can see it all on his face. For instance, Bart gets Clark to travel to Florida, run all the way to Florida to have some fun. And again, this look in Welling's eyes, like he he has a friend who can do the things that he can do. This is even beyond Pete knowing Clark's secret, you know. Clark has shown this attachment before. When he finds somebody that can be a friend, a colleague, a brother, he like latches onto it. The thing Clark doesn't like is that Bart steals. He uses his powers to steal. He's basically homeless and he's using his powers to fence things and make money. And, you know, Bart's kind of nonchalant about it. And Clark's like, look, it doesn't make it right. And we get the taste of what 
role Clark can play with these other heroes. Is It's that he can be a guide. He's the one that can steer them to, to truth, to justice, to some kind of moral center, because that's who he is, you know? They have to play Clark as the inspiration, the one that is going to show all of these other heroes a different path. And I love that. It's different from Clark's um, confrontations with the Kryptonite Monsters of the Week because there's a lot of guilt behind that. Clark thinks that he's the one who's always responsible for those people, but he's not responsible for Bart, right? That's just someone who has powers. So he's going to treat him differently, and I enjoyed that, and I know that we'll see more of that later. These episodes are also good because they push Clark. They push his powers. They push his speed. Um, he says to his parents, maybe it's time I stop running from what I really am. Obviously, he's using that dialogue because the episode is called Run, right? They always like to be thematic that way. Um, but it's great to see him stretch his legs, right? If he can teach others how to be decent, they can teach him about his powers, and when Bart leaves, he even says at the end of the episode, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to see if there's anyone else out there like us, start up a club or a league or something. He says, I have no reason to stay in Smallville. Clark says, you have me. And then they do, of course, a Superman Flash race at the end. And Flash smokes him, as he should. And you can see, once again, this look on Clark's face that he's just so amazed at Bart speed and uh, it's great. It's just a really, it's a really great episode um, for that. And I, I like their, um, their relationship and I like, uh, you know, everything that it can provide in potential. Some of the other stuff in this episode. So I mentioned that Lex finds this manuscript that has kryptonite writing on the border, but then Clark x-rays it and there's a map there's a map with like, you know, uh, trees. It says, look deeper, and you see it has like all of these words, tree, ruins, badlands, mountains, plains. I don't know if these are locations for the other crystals of power, or again, is it leading to the fortress? I just don't remember. Um, but this friendship that has now rekindled, Clark is still a little leery, but I do like that Lex is back on the hunt for these artifacts because that was such a great thing about the first episode and then they just went away from it. Um, so I hope they continue that. I, I want more of that this season. The whole reason Clark was in Metropolis to meet Bart was because Pa had to go there for a checkup for his heart and he was complaining about all the medicine he has to take and Clark says, look, I'd rather you take all the medicine in the world than not have you around. There again, another mention of a time when maybe Pa won't be around, you know? I'm starting to sense a Pa Kent death watch. But it's nice, again, for Pa to mention what he went through because of what he went through because of Jor-El, you know? And with Martha starting to work at the Talon, Pa Kent is starting to feel a little left behind, both from Martha and Clark. Again, the show is setting us up for a time when Pa won't be around. Jason and Lana have a few scenes together. Again, this whole notion that she doesn't want to 
hide. She she doesn't want to have all these secrets. Um, Jason says, look, I, I've seen what keeping secrets has done to my parents. Again, bringing up his family. Jason, uh, Lana shows Jason the caves and that her tattoo is on the cave wall. And I just got this feeling like, oh, he wants to be here. He really wants, you know, it's almost like this is the whole reason why he's here. So that's another thing that um, pushes in this episode. So really good episode um, because of Bart, but also because they brought back elements from um, the first episode. And it's like, okay, here we go. Let's keep this going. All right, there you go. That's it for these first five episodes. I'm going to follow up again with the next five, six through ten of season four. I'll drop the notes on the website first and then come back with another episode at some point in the future. Again, there's no schedule to this. You're going to get a digest. Maybe you'll get another kind of episode. And then eventually I'll pop back in with a Smallville episode. But uh, I am determined to keep going. So we'll see how long um, this interest lasts. <laughs> All right. Email me, peter at the dailyrios.com. Visit the website and the Instagram for the Daily Rios. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. I would love to hear your thoughts on Smallville Season 4 if you're watching or um, if you remember some of these episodes. This has been the Daily Rios, Episode 640 for Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Talk to you soon. <laughs>